Hey, yeah, South Africa. I'm your host, Dawn Numdu, the manager for audience and engagement at Foodform Zanzi. And welcome to Farmers Inside Track Weekend. In today's episode, we chat to Martine Swart, the secretariat for the South African Rebus Council. Now, Rebus harvesting is in full swing in Plain William in the Cedarburg Mountains in the Western Cape. And she's here to tell us a bit more about it. And listen, I've never heard anyone talk about rooibos and rooibos tea as passionately as she does. Honestly, it kind of made me super proud to be South African. Martine, rooibos harvesting is in full swing in Glen William in the Cedarburg Mountains in the Western Cape. Is this really the only place where rooibos is grown in the world? That was absolutely amazing to know and hear about. It is quite amazing. And as far as we are aware, yes, obviously we don't have tabs on the whole world, but I'm pretty sure that it is grown only in the Cedarburg Mountain region. Rooibos also likes that place. So you would really struggle to try and grow it somewhere else. So it grows in this rugged mountainous area of the Cedarburg region. And the winters, if you know the Cedarburg, are really cold and the summers are really, really very hot. It's really amazing that the plant grows there. The area where it grows is actually part of the Cape Floral Kingdom, which is really interesting. So this is an internationally recognized biodiversity hotspot. And what I really find amazing about the whole place is that it's one of six floral kingdoms in the world. It is the smallest one in the world, and it is the only one in the entire world that is totally within the borders of one country. It's so rich in plant species that we get 8,700 species in that area of the Cedarburg and the Cape Floral Kingdom, and that is even more than a tropical rainforest. So that's really cool. And in this area, you get so many different soil types and microclimates and so many plants evolved there. And rooibos is one of the plants that evolved there in this area. The way you're talking about it makes me really excited. And I think it's absolutely amazing. It's like this little gem and I don't think many people Mm. know about it. So that's really, really amazing. What's the outlook looking for this year's rooibos harvest? And then can you also tell us a bit about the countries where we export to globally? So we had good rain for the past year. We had a very good winter year in the Western Cape. So we expect to have a good season. Obviously, we are now slap bang in the middle of harvesting. The rubus is looking good in the fields, but obviously we don't have an exact idea. So the volumes will look good. Because rubus is mostly a dryland crop and it's really connected to its environment and the climate, we are dependent on rainfall. But since we had good rainfall, we should have good volumes. And more or less, we vary between 17 and 20,000 tons per annum. We keep about 50% for the local market because this is our local drink and and we always want to make sure that we have enough volumes in our domestic market. And then 50% of the volumes are exported. I think we're going to come to it later, but because of the many health benefits of rooibos, the local consumption is increasing. But also recently we had a geographic indication registration for rooibos in the overseas markets. We are really likely to see further growth in these markets. So when we already speak about the overseas markets, the top five countries that we export rooibos to, the two countries that really always swap places in the first place, and that is Japan and Germany. So currently Japan is on top. And then the Netherlands, we always export to the Netherlands. And then lastly, the last two countries in the top five is the UK and the USA. As South Africans, we love rooibos as well. It's like it's in our skincare products, we drink it. It's definitely part of our culture and heritage, so that's absolutely amazing. Another thing that I was absolutely astounded by is that the number of jobs that the rebels industry actually provides. 
as I understand it, more than 8,000 agricultural workers. Now, is it extremely labor intensive? Could you maybe just explain that a bit? From when we catch the rooibos seeds and then the germination of the seed in the nursery, then the planting, the planting is done by hand. Then weeding is mostly done by hand because weeds and, and other plants grow in between the rooibos fields. And this is really taken out by hand. Harvesting is done by hand. And then obviously the rooibos goes to the processing areas where it's processed. And here we also have a multitude of people. So I think it is one of the industries, while there's some mechanization, most of the activities in the rooibos industry still happens by hand by people who've been working with the plant for a really long time. And interestingly, the geographic indication or this protected designation of origin registration that we got last year is about the plant and it is about linking the plant to its area. So it's really linking rooibos to this amazing part of in the Cape Floral Kingdom where it grows. But also a very significant part of this registration is linking rooibos to the people involved in its cultivation and processing and linking rooibos to the way that it is made. For us, it is about jobs. It is absolutely amazing in South Africa to be able to give employment to so many people, but it is also about this connection between the people of the area and growing and processing the rooibos. Definitely, I think you've painted a very beautiful picture there in terms of the holistic view about who's all connected Mm. and how it's all connected. But for someone who's now sitting and drinking a cup of rooibos, what does it actually take for it to get from the farm to their cups of tea or in their iced tea? Or what is the process actually about? How does it work? First of all, have you ever seen a rooibos seed? I actually haven't, to be honest. I've seen asparagus seed, which is also really tiny. But I've never seen a rooibos seed. Please, the rooibos seed is like tiny like that, okay? So they are tiny and it's really amazing to think that from that tiny seed, we will get this plant that is so amazing and so robust that lives under often harsh conditions and makes our natural brew. So like I said, these seeds are harvested by hand and it is quite tricky because they lie in the sand around the plant and you actually sift the sand by hand and then you pick out the seeds. In the olden days, what happened is the ants harvested these seeds for their own food. And then what happened is they stored it in the ant heap. So the people went to the ant heaps to get the seeds. So after it's harvested, it's really germinated with great care in nurseries. And then the plant stays in the nursery until about March. So when the rain comes in about June, August, then the rooibos is planted out by hand from the nurseries to the field. And here the rooibos will grow for about 18 months until it is fully mature and it's almost like a shrub-like bush so it comes out of the earth and then it it kind of subdivides and it's got these fine needle-like leaves for people who've never seen a rooibos plant it's almost like if you think of a like the fine needle-like leaf you get on a christmas tree like on a pine tree a lot finer and the plant is about 1.5 meters high so when the rooibos is now ready for harvest which is about december january february exactly where we are now They cut off these branches about 50 centimetres above the ground. And these cuttings are then taken to the processing area where they are cut into uniform lengths in 1.5 to 5 millimetre pieces, more or less. But now at this point, your rooibos is not red, it's green. So now starts the process of actually actually, um, processing it into the beautiful brew that we know. So this cut and bruised rooibos They make it slightly wet, 60% moisture, 
And then they leave it in heaps and here it sweats for about 10 to 14 hours. Temperature is about 34 to 38 degrees. And during this process, the fermentation takes place. And what's always extraordinary to me is that during this fermentation and oxidation process, nothing is added to the rooibos. There are enzymes already inside the plant that naturally helps this fermentation process. And then it is in this process that rooibos gets its beautiful dark amber color and the lovely flavor that we are used to. Now it's wet and lying in heaps. And then we spread it out on tea courts. And just now we're going to speak about the, the Cedarburg area. But if you go this time of year, you may just be lucky because tea courts are these big concrete courts where they spread out the rooibos very thin. And then they plow it over and it airs and it dries in this climate. And then they collect it and they take it to the processing facility. And I think importantly for people to know is that um, at the processing facility, it is pasteurized to make sure that it is 100% food safe and, and like ready for human consumption. So that's the whole process of getting the plants to your cup. Absolutely amazing. I literally saw the process as you were explaining it to me. I think it's so amazing. As I understand it, and I think you've made mention of it a few times now during our discussion, Rebus is now also the first African product to receive PDO status from the EU, which I understand is mm. it identifies and links to a product to a specific region, associating its quality and reputation to that specific area. You explained it so rightly earlier. How has this now changed the game for us in South Africa and specifically the rooibos industry? It's really amazing. So, it, so the PDO stands for Protected Designation of Origin. It's what they call in broader terms a geographic indication. To very easily understand it, we all know that only sparkling wine from the region of Champagne in France can be called Champagne. So if you make that same beautiful sparkling wine, like we know in South Africa, we call it MCC. We call yes, it Mr. Kaplasik. Yes, we don't yes. call it champagne. So in exactly the same way, only rooibos that is grown in this very specific area of the cedarburg can be called rooibos. So if somebody managed to take that tiny seed and managed to grow it somewhere else, they can never call it rooibos. Because rooibos, the name is now protected for the plant grown and the tea made only in South Africa. So this part, obviously, there's a marketing value that I will come to now. And, and there's, there's great value in using this registration to communicate about the plant. But this protection is a legal protection. And it protects the plant for the industry, sure, but also for the people of South Africa. And that was the main motivation behind this whole registration. Because Rubus is an indigenous plant, and it is really part of the heritage of the people of South Africa. And as the industry, we also felt that we have a certain responsibility to look after this heritage. And this whole process has allowed us to formalize that protection. So once it was formalized, we were not by, I don't know, a long shot at all prepared for the extraordinary amount of interest that we received from the international community when this registration was published. So it's a very powerful marketing tool. But I think importantly, People understand what a geographic indication means. And if you think about consumers, for consumers, more and more, it is important that they, they want to know the provenance of their product. They want to know where the product comes from. So this geographic indication allows consumers to say, yes, I know rooibos is a geographic indication. We know it links it to the Cedarburg. We know where it comes from. We link it to the people and we know how it's made. So in that, it's also very valuable for us. I think strengthening our position in the international market even. No, definitely. What you mentioned in terms of traceability and people wanting to know where their food comes from, mm. it's really top of mind, especially 
in light of the COVID-19 pandemic. I've really enjoyed our conversation and I would talk to you all day about Rebus Tea. But before we let you go, Martine, for all the tea lovers listening, people who might be interested, tell us about the rooibos route. I think there's so many activities happening, a huge buzz around this area um, that we can maybe even go visit. On. I hope to go there. Just go. It's so beautiful. So the rooibos route really is if you want to go to Clint William area and if you want to go and want to go and see more about rooibos, but also really that whole area is very rich in history and in beauty. So the rooibos route is like your one-stop shop because uh, they look after such a wide variety of things. So I'm just going to briefly mention three, like say, big things that they look after. So the first thing is obviously rooibos. There are tea tastings and food and tea pairings. And it really tells you about the history. And if you're interested to go and see about the cultivation or the harvest, they can also organize a tour for you. That's really interesting. They can also share information about the whole history of rooibos. But apart from that, the Cedarburg is very, very rich in wonderful things that, that you can do. So you can also do wine tasting. And the Clan William is home of some of the highest vineyards in our country. So that makes it really interesting. And then the Cedarburg is breathtaking. If you haven't been there, just get off the, I think it's the N7 that goes past. Get off the big road and get into the mountains and go and see what is there. In this one area called the Wolfberg Skere, or the Wolfberg Arch, or the Wolfberg Crags. And this is really a very, very beautiful place to go and hike. So that's really amazing. And then obviously there's also rock art. So this is the Bushmansklub Wilderness Reserve and Retreat is one of the most spectacular natural heritage sites. And it's a custodian of one of the largest open air Bushman rock art galleries. Really absolutely amazing. And there's a little rock art trail of five kilometers that winds all the way through that you can go and see the rock art. And then for those who are a little bit more adventurous, you can take this beautiful environment. You can do a bit of rock climbing. You can do a bit of hiking. You can do a bit of mountain biking. Water sports, also on the Clan William Dam. So yeah, there's a lot to do there, no matter what your taste and what you see as a relaxing activity for a weekend. Thanks again for joining us, Martina Iswart, the Secretariat for the South African Robos Council. And that brings us to the end of another exciting episode of Farmers Inside Track Weekend. Remember, if you love this podcast, you better rate it and you better share it with your friends, family members and your fellow farmers. From me, Don Numdu, our producer Megan van der Vent, and the rest of the Food Form Zanzi team, have a great weekend. Life in South Africa can be a lot. I mean, scroll through Twitter for a minute and tell me I'm wrong. Thank God for South Africans though, right? We're inspiring, and even on the bad days, we fight back with a smile. That's why I love Food Form Zanzi so much. They're not ashamed to celebrate the ordinary unsung heroes who work every day to put food on our nation's tables. Go to foodformzanzi.co.za and never miss an inspiring story. 